every intention to help women that felt like I did. I had that North Star. I knew what I was trying to do. I gave it my all. And so if now no one likes it, I'm not going to feel badly about myself because I showed up. And that's the thing, Jay. No one can affect whether you show up or not. Forget about the failure and successes. No one can affect whether if you showed up or not. The only person that can affect that is you. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every single one of you that come back every week to listen, learn and grow. Now, there have been very, very few guests that we've had on twice on On Purpose. And this is one of those rare times. And it's because today's guest is not only an incredible author, one of my favorite storytellers, but she truly is a dear, dear friend. She reminds me of home. She's given me a sense of comfort ever since I moved to LA. She's amazing friends with my wife. She's a phenomenal interviewer and so much more. Of course, I'm speaking about none other than my dear friend, Lisa Bilyeu. Now, for those of you who don't know Lisa, Lisa Bilyeu co-founded Quest Nutrition, which grew 57,000% in its first three years. She's also the co-founder and president of Impact Theory Studios, a revolutionary digital first studio that produces wildly entertaining original content focusing on themes of empowerment. Throughout her career, Lisa has created a slate of content that has been viewed over half a billion times. And by overseeing all in-house content development at Impact Theory, she, along with her husband, Tom Bilyeu, who's also been an amazing guest, have built a global audience of over 7.5 million. As host of her own digital series, which, by the way, if you haven't seen it, you need to go and subscribe. It's called Women of Impact on YouTube. Go and subscribe. Lisa spends her days having real, uncensored conversations with the most inspiring women. And as an amazingly inspiring woman herself, she has written her first book called Radical Confidence, 10 No BS Lessons on Becoming the Hero of Your Own Life. Welcome to On Purpose, Lisa Billion. Oh Lisa, God, thank you for doing this. Oh my God, are you joking? Thank you. This is so exciting. Literally, I've been so giddy just so that we get to hang out because every time we try and hang out, like as a double date or something, there's always one of us. There's that- always one of us. <laughs> there's always one. It's usually Radhi and Tom. Yes. Yeah. Actually, it's never me and you, Jay. Yeah, I don't think it is. No, I mean, we're the ones who are always trying. We're, yeah, <laughs> we're the organized ones, let's face it. <laughs> but no, honestly, I was I was looking forward to seeing you today as well because we always have fun when we're together. I'm so proud of you for putting this book together. It's so hard writing a book, creating a book, then going out and sharing the story, then going through the emotions of actually talking about everything that's in the book. And especially when it's a book about confidence, uh, let's let's start. We we know each other fairly well, but I I always feel like I'm going to learn so much more about you today, which I'm very excited about. When you were growing up, who for you did you look at as the epitome of confidence? Like who was it that you thought, or what was it, or was it a character or a role that you were like that person seems confident? The person I admired the most was Jodie Foster. Wow. Yeah. Um, I don't really talk about this much, actually. But growing up, I so loved movies. I was like the kid that would get up at three in the morning and wish one day 
I'm going to win the Academy Award for Best Movie Director. You know, like that was the dream. And so I really did look at who is in the space that's doing the things. And Jodie Foster always seemed so confident to me. She was in front of the camera. She was behind the camera. She was writing. She was directing. She was producing. And so I just thought, of course, I know differently now, where you see a woman that always shows up. I just thought, oh my God, she must have like the most confidence. But in having like learned about her and her story and, you know, she's very, like very private. And so I dismissed the fact that she probably wasn't confident, but always showed up. And that's kind of what the book is about, is that you don't have to always feel confident to show up. So yeah, Jodie Foster, I think. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. And, and I love that. I've heard you talk about that. And of course you talk about in the book, this idea of how we think we have to be confident before we do big things. We think we have to have this courage and bravery before we do big things. And you go on to say in the book that actually no, when you do these things, that's what makes you confident. What was one of the first things that you started to do or experiment with where you started to gain confidence or build confidence? So I love that you said build. So I've got a line in the book, it's like, it's like a muscle. You wouldn't go to the gym and want glutes of steel after doing a couple of squats, right? I mean, right? I do want that to happen. <laughs> you I, I, want it yeah. to, but do you get glutes of steel? Do you your glutes still? I mean, I have no idea. <laughs> Definitely not. I don't have any glutes, so I have no idea. That's amazing. But you don't just go what you want to, but you don't. And so that is like with confidence. We kind of want it already, but you, if you think of it like a muscle, you can go and you can train it. And that's the point is that for me, it became being thrown into the deep end, not feeling like I had any confidence. I was completely insecure. I was actually very inadequate. So it wasn't even like, oh, I just, you know, I had it and I was just, you know, not feeling great about myself. No, no, when we started Quest, I didn't know what I was doing at all. And so the confidence part came afterwards. It came as the byproduct of doing things, figuring out, falling on the floor, getting back up, learning from it, and then over time becoming competent. And the confidence part, I think, I think it's just, we want to feel great about ourselves. That's it. We want to feel great about ourselves before we try something. Perspective is everything. So how do you shift that? And so how I did it was instead of focusing on the confidence, say, what is that end goal? I want confidence to do what? And now once you have that, then you put in a plan, a blueprint of how you're going to get there because your confidence will come after that. I love that. I, I think you're completely shifting how people think about confidence because I still see those things of like this is how to be confident stand this way do this and and those things work and they're useful but you're talking about a deeper sense of confidence how do you define confidence and radical confidence obviously how do you define that because I do think you're encouraging us all to move to a much more deeper level of confidence yeah I'm trying definitely thank you, <laughs> you the are. word with the word confidence I do think is it's about a feeling you want to feel great about yourself before you start something and radical confidence is, it's not about feeling great about yourself. It's about how do I get to that end goal so I can have the life and the dream I've always wanted. That's it. And so it's not going to be easy. And that's a big part of it. And because it's not easy and because you're all the time moving forward, even when you're scared, you're moving forward, even when you're fearful, how do you keep moving forward? Now, it's very easy to say, oh, just do it anyway when you're scared. No, no. If you've got crippling anxiety, if you're like really feeling badly about yourself, telling someone to just do it anyway doesn't actually help. So to me, it has to be a blueprint. If you want to lose weight, some people, like my mum, she was so severely overweight just telling her, well, mum, I'll get you a gym membership. It wouldn't have helped because she feels so badly about herself. She doesn't even have the radical confidence to walk into the gym. 
So, okay, how do you actually get someone to take their health or like take their stepping stones? Maybe right now, all you need to do is put your shoes by the bed. That's it. That's what you're going to do tomorrow. You're not going to go to the gym. You're not going to do anything else. You're just going to put your shoes by the bed. And then the next day, you're going to put your shoes on. And what you're going to do is every time you do it, you're actually going to give yourself a pat on the back and said, yesterday, I didn't put the shoes on. And today I did. And it becomes these little microscopic movements towards the dream that you really want so that you can build that competence to build the confidence. Yeah, that, I mean, especially that part, the, the competence to build the confidence. I completely, completely agree with you. I speak to a lot of friends who have young kids and they'd always, they'll always say to me like, oh, my kid's not very confident. And or he lacks or she lacks or they lack in confidence. And when I look back to being a young kid, I would say I wasn't confident when I was growing up. And I was bullied. I was overweight. I was one of the, we grew up in the same area. I was one of the only South Asian Indian kids in our area. And so I was bullied for several things. And I would say it took me a long time before I developed a sense of confidence but it was exactly what you just said. It was building competence that led to confidence. Yeah. So my parents forced me to go to public speaking school, built tons of confidence. My for parents forced me to go to drama school, built tons of confidence. So when they forced me to build competence, that built confidence. And I think we're so scared that we don't build skills. We think we can solve how we feel without building a skill. Does that make sense? Oh my God, 100%. And that's part of it. It's like, me wanting to, let's say it's getting on stage. I was so petrified to get on stage, but my, my goal is impact. So Tom pulls me aside and he's like, babe, as your husband, you've said you want to create impact, but you keep saying no to these speaking gigs. And so I'm just letting you know that your actions aren't aligned with what you say you want in life. So I was like, okay, well, how on earth Typical Tom. Typical Tom, I know, <laughs> calling me on my stuff. So it's like, okay, I recognize that getting on stage actually does solve that, serve that mission that I really am like holding my core to. But how on earth do I get on stage? How do I build that competence when I just feel so badly about myself, when I'm so embarrassed, I'm so, I'm worried about falling on my face and like really embarrassing myself. How on earth do I do that? And it becomes, you said your parents forced you. As an adult, I think it becomes harder. We get very um, in our own heads. And I think, you know, as kids, we're easily, you can learn, you can walk, you can tie your shoes, you learn how to do it. You don't do it the first time, but you just take time. But as adults, we don't give ourselves the grace to go through that training period. And so for me, and when I'm thinking about public speaking, I do think about those incremental steps in order to get there because I can't just want to, yeah. to your point. It's like, I can say, I really want this. But to so many people, that's just not enough. Mm -hmm. It's like, it, it's, that isn't enough to actually get people to act on their dream. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, what I love about the book, and I do recommend everyone goes and grabs their copy, it's called Radical Confidence. I'm speaking to Lisa Bilyeu, 10 No BS Lessons on Becoming the Hero of Your Own Life. Uh, make sure you go grab a copy. We've got it in the subject area. We've got it in the comment section everywhere. Uh, I love books. I love content that has lessons. And the fact that you have 10 in here makes it very simple. And I love that. And I want to dive through a little bit of these so everyone gets a feeling of like, oh, I need to, you know, go and dive into that chapter. First of all, you say your dreams are a gamble. Bet on yourself. And the one that I loved out of all of these was I can stop making excuses mm -hmm. because I think there are a lot of excuses. Where do you think those excuses come from? What were some of the excuses you've told yourself and what are some of the excuses you hear that other people are telling themselves? 
Great question. And I just want to say, sometimes, here's the problem with excuses. Sometimes they're real. That's the problem. Sometimes, yes, you have every reason to say, I can't do, I don't have the time. Right? Jay Shet, how busy are you, dude? Right? How busy? Yeah, oh my. I, I, I think I work most days, 7 a.m. till like 10 p.m. till in, I go in, to bed. Yeah, 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 that's insane. So let's say something comes to you. You can easily say, well, I don't have time. Is that an excuse or a, re a valid reason? It's true. It's true. But now, if it's getting in your way of your dream, how do you see it? Yes. Is an excuse or is a reason? It's like everyone makes their decisions, right? So you would make the decision to say, I can't do that because I'm too busy. To me, that's a decision that you've made. Yes. And so for me, the excuse is to look at your reasons why you're not making the, the moves that you want to or that you say you're going to. Write them down. And then with no judgment, you can hear me say that a lot because I used to judge myself and it's the judgment that would hold me back. So writing down all those reasons, let's say you've got your goal. Why aren't you there yet? So my goal was, I want to make movies. That's where me and Tom, we first got married. Tom was going to go out, make enough money and I was going to support him at home. It was just going to be for a year. So one year turns into two years, turns into three, turns into four. And so I start losing all my hopes and dreams in that period. And the excuse I kept making to myself is, well, we still don't have the money yet to make movies. And that was the reason that I was using that we weren't making movies. Now, if I'd stepped back, said, okay, my goal is to make movies. What are the reasons? Well, I don't have enough money. Is that a reason or an excuse? If you drill down, it's an excuse because I could make a short movie. I could make a two minute film that is shot on my iPhone that costs nothing. But in my head, I'd so stuck to the big dream of making a $100 million movie that every time I wasn't even taking one step, I kept using the excuse that I didn't have money. I kept using the excuse that we didn't have the time, that I was, well, hang on a minute. In fact, here's a perfect excuse that I wonder if your audience will resonate with. We used to say, to, like, Tom would go out to work. And it's like, why wasn't I, like, really moving towards my dream and my goal? And as we started to build Quest, as it was getting more and more successful, I was like, well, I, I can't focus on Quest because I still have to do all these things at home. I, I, can't, I can't put all my time in there because I still have to do the laundry. I still have to cook. Now, is that a reason or is it an excuse? Some people will say, of course you have to do laundry. That's a very valid reason. Now, here's the thing. That's a choice. You don't have to do laundry. And I used it as an excuse time and time again of why I wasn't moving towards my dream. Because the truth was, when I finally realized it was an excuse, I sat down with Tom and I said, baby, I love you more than life itself, but I don't want to cook for you anymore. I don't want to do your laundry anymore. And so if I get time, I'll do it. I'll do it maybe every three weeks. And so he's like, baby, to see you happy, what kind of husband would I be to say that I need my underwear cleaned because um, out of your, hap you know, your happiness? And so one day, I literally didn't do the laundry for so long. He's like, all right, babe, I'm out of laundry. So I guess I'm going to work commando. <laughs> and he actually went to work without underwear. So you can see how one time, once upon a time, I had the mindset that doing the laundry was absolutely part of how you should live. But by removing that as an excuse and saying, hey, this actually is getting in your way of your dream and your goal. Mm. Remove it. And now where did it lead? The husband went to work commando and I didn't think twice about it. Why? Because I was working on my dream. I love that. That's such a great example because you're so right that often your excuse can be real, mm -hmm. but it can still be an excuse. Yeah. And I love the idea you gave about making movies too, because I do think we have the big dream and we don't see the small step. 
And the way you described that to me made so much sense because I was speaking to someone recently and I was telling them about when I moved to LA and they've just kind of moved to LA and they're starting out and they're at film school and it's early days. And I was just saying that, you know, when I came to LA, there's so many things that I still want to do that I haven't done yet. But if I just wanted to do those things, I wouldn't have built everything else. And I don't want to be someone who just has a big dream. I want to be someone who's doing lots of small things towards that big dream. And I think sometimes the big dream cripples us mm -hmm. and we keep pushing it off and we keep saying, oh no, well, like you said, I don't have a hundred million dollars. How am I making a movie? We're living in this amazing time where anyone can make a movie for very cheap, for, for free even. Uh, and it's incredible to think about it that way. So I'm so glad you've written about that. And in the book, just so everyone knows, Lisa goes through in chapter one, she goes, talks about how you can dream big, how you can change your life, how you can bet on yourself. I literally just picked out one thing from one chapter that I find interesting because I find that excuses keep growing no matter where you're at, mm -hmm. no matter where you're at. And what I've realized for me is that my excuse is based on a season. Oh, so on. right now I'm in a season of writing my book, comes out next year, my second book. And I know that when I'm writing my book, all my creative energy goes into writing a book. So I know that I can't really do many other things that are highly creative because all my energy goes into the book. But as soon as my book time's over, I now get all this new creative time back and I can do a lot of stuff. So during this period, I accept that my excuse is true, that I can't do much more. But once that's over, now I know I can go off and do other things. Yeah, and I would actually then, when I come to that conclusion, going, oh, okay, this excuse makes sense based on what I'm trying to do. I then flip and go, cool, this is no longer an excuse, it's a reason. Yes. And so, I, because here's what I like to, I actually like to call myself on it. So Lisa, you're using that as an excuse. And so I want to make sure that I'm always defining that word that gets mm. me the emotion I'm trying to feel to propel me forward. I love that. That makes so much sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what you're right. It's not an excuse. It's a reason. Yeah. I love that. All right. Rule two is called make up your mindset. And the one that I loved out of all of these sections of this chapter is I can get good at anything. Yeah. I love that mindset. Can you tell me about something that you were once terrible at that today you would consider yourself to be fantastic at and I know you won't hold back because I know we both agree that it's so easy to like never accept that we actually got good at anything mm -hmm. but I'm hoping everyone and I'll, I'll do the same when you hear me and Lisa own that we're now good at something please see it as a sign for you to own your own growth because we live in this world where we judge ourselves when we're losing and then we judge ourselves when we're winning <laughs> and it's so important to lose judgment at both times That's so so true yeah i been the stay-at-home wife for eight years being thrust into quest nutrition i was just helping out the husband i'm a good greek wife i'm going to help the husband out what do i need to do now i I didn't have any skill sets in building a company, zero. I knew how to be a great wife. I knew filmmaking because I went to film school for it and I knew how to take care of my two dogs and my husband. That was like my skill <laughs> That's set. That's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty, not, yeah, not yeah. too bad. But when you go into a startup company, every single day I was faced with things I had no idea to the little things of a pallet. I was shipping bars off my living room floor. We grew at 57,000%. So literally within a few weeks, a few months, I'm shipping out 20 boxes. And so the UPS guy comes along and he's like, you know, I can actually take a lot more if you put everything on a pallet. I was too embarrassed to admit, I had no idea what a pallet was. <laughs> so I was like, okay, great, thanks mate. You know, and he drives off. 
I run back to my computer and type in Google. What on earth is a palette? <laughs> you know, and then the image comes up like, oh yeah, I kind of know what those are. Where do I get one from? How much do they cost? So I literally just keep typing in. Where do I get one from? How much do they cost? And that's the sort of thing that started to build my self-esteem around being the person that can figure it out, not the person that knows everything. And it be- it becomes such a safe place for me because now I don't worry about not knowing something. I just, if I have the mentality and the ethos that I can figure it out, if I put the time and energy into it, some things may take a second, what is a palette? Some things may take two years. But regardless, if I believe I can, I can actually take the steps forward. But if I believe I can't, I'm not going to. And let's face it, so many people are also there to be ready to tell you what you can't do. Yeah. So that's why you have to believe in yourself that you know how to, because you can very much get influenced from the outside world. Like one of the very early days, I don't know if you know this story, actually, one of the very early days of Quest, we had like Justin Bieber's cousin was like contacted Quest. And so they're like, oh my God, Lisa, we can get Quest a boss to Justin Bieber. But here's the catch. He's in Dubai and you've only got like 24, 48 hours to get it to him. And everyone was like, but it's impossible. Everyone said it's impossible. I called up my UPS guy. They're like, it's impossible. It's a food product. It's Dubai. It's imports. It's like all this thing, like logistics. And in that moment, I was like, no one's going to fight for your dream more than you will. So of course, my request to my, even the UPS person, I'm making his life harder. So when he sees the hurdle or he's like, eh, it's, it's impossible, but no one will fight for your dream more than you will. So I didn't take impossible as an option. I didn't know what I was doing. I figured it out. And so I literally said, okay, if you're the person that figures it out, what would this look like? Don't take no for an answer. Ask questions, ask boatloads of questions. Instead of feeling badly about myself for not knowing, just keep asking. So I would get on, like, I'm, oh, okay, you can't help me. Can I speak to your manager, please? Manager comes up. It's impossible. Can you explain to me why? Well, because of the customs. All right, what if, what if I overpaid customs? Well, but what about this slip? Well, okay, I'll just fill out the slip in advance and I'll be up at three in the morning. In case it gets there, I'll be on call. Like every time there's a problem, do you have a way to think around it? And it's not that I knew what I was doing. That's the key is that I just had the mentality that no one's gonna fight for my dream more than me and I'm not gonna take no as an answer. And because of those things, I ended up figuring it out and I ended up getting bars to JB in time. I don't know if he actually ever received them though. <laughs> That's the heartbreaking thing. It was like, I got confirmation. They arrived at his, his hotel. And to me though, that was the thing that I held on to, that no one thought it was possible. All the experts thought it was impossible. I didn't know what I was doing. But I went in there as the learner and said, Lisa, you're going to figure it out. I love that story. Do you know why? Because it's so practical. Mm -hmm. Like it's so tangible. It's not like this ethereal dream that you made come true. It's literally like we need to get these bars from this country to this country. And you can see all the steps it takes. And you can see every moment where you could have just gone, can't be bothered now. And that's literally the only thing. And actually, whether he got it or not is irrelevant to the fact that you were able to figure it out yes and it shows that now you can apply that to anything big or small and now you are applying it to movies and comic books and you know whatever else it may be but it started off by just trying to get a bar from from one country to another i honestly hope that everyone who's listening and watching the reason why i love lisa's examples is because they're just so tangible they're so real and i think sometimes it's like Maybe you're listening right now and you have a company you want to start or you have a podcast you want to launch or you have a YouTube channel that's in your head. And it really is as simple today as going on Google, 
typing it in and trying it. And I think the biggest mistake, Lisa, I want to hear your take on this, is I think we often try things too slow and therefore the results are more painful to accept. I'll, I'll give you an example of what I mean. If I'm interested by something, let's take something like what you just did. If you took three months to type in what's a palette, then three months later, you'll figure out how much they cost. And then three months later, maybe the prices go up. And now in 12 months, you're going, oh, well, I guess that wasn't useful. Whereas if you go back that day like you did, and then you went and researched how much they cost, and then you researched the budget and everything else that you did, you learn it so fast that now you can take action. Yeah. So often what I think is that we need to experiment more often as opposed to like trying to make something happen over a year. If you try and do it in an hour, you're actually more likely to learn and grow rather than saying, okay, I'm going to spend 10 minutes on this every week. If you can spend an hour on it this weekend, you probably make a bit more growth and you'll feel more momentum. I don't know what your thoughts are a on that. A thousand percent. I think the reason why people don't know is they fear not being it not being perfect. Yeah. So they're like, well, let me just figure it. Like, let me take the stepping stones. Let me process yeah. it. Let me. And I actually get it. That fear really can stop so many of us. But that's why I have the identity of being the learner, of being the person that actually, you know what? I don't know this today and I don't judge myself for it, but I can learn. And it's that of like, what is that goal? How do you keep moving forward? And then the fear part, that voice in the head that I I very much talk about is telling me, well, Lisa, you don't know what you're doing. Well, Lisa, you, you know, you, who do you think you are? Like you don't have any, <laughs> you know, expertise in this area. But if I'm then bypass it by being like, oh no, you don't know anything. So, hey, you should learn. <laughs> you know, it's like bypass that voice to then get you to act. Yeah. And then in that action, you then feel the competence that then builds the confidence to then keep going. Yeah. But it is that starting point that is very fearful. And so recently, in fact, I don't know how you felt in like launching a book and stuff like that. And we're very creative. So as part of the creative, I get very um, hypo um, microscopic on everything. It's like, that's not good enough. No, that's not right. And I realized I was actually holding myself back because to your point, like I wasn't just like learning from it. I wasn't just putting yeah. things out. And, and so I ended up sitting down and saying, okay, right now, this fear of like trying to be perfect is actually holding you back. I don't judge myself for it, but I say, how do I overcome this feeling? Because I can't force myself not to feel it. So I have to come up with a plan, a tactic to overcome the way that I'm handling it. So I sat there and I was like, oh, I'm looking for perfection. Does perfection help impact people with this book? No. Okay, great. So how do I overcome this? I need to be deliberate, not perfect. Okay, that's actually really strong. That really hit me. Be deliberate. How do I remind myself that in moments? Because we all have habits. So the habit of me right now is to be perfect. So how do I overcome this habit of being perfect? Okay, I'm going to put in my phone in something I call in my, um, in the book, it's like phone roulette. So it's actually, you've got this roulette, but it's, you put a message in your phone, you close your eyes and you spin <laughs> the time and you close your eyes and you don't know what time you've said it. And the whole point for this is to keep reminding yourself in random moments of the message you're trying to um, become a habit in your mind. So I put in, be deliberate, not perfect. And I did the roulette and I did it for about three weeks. And after that, I don't need it anymore. Now, every time something comes to me, I just go, okay, I want to be deliberate, not perfect. Okay, yep, great. This is good to go. 
Wow. So wait, you choose the message. Yeah. And then you put a random time. Yeah. And then your phone will buzz yeah. at that time and remind you of that message that you put in. Yeah. And I don't That's know what. That's so cool. And I don't know when it's going to go Correct. off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. look, sometimes it goes off at the worst time. <laughs> right when you're in an interview like with right Jay Shetty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> right. Yeah. But I did this once for. That's um, so cool. Yeah. I, I did it once as this experiment because I am always going, I don't judge myself for how I feel, but I don't accept that as an excuse. Yeah. So, okay. You've, this is real, don't feel badly, but what are you gonna do to overcome it? So that was one of those things. I was actually really scared for TED Talk. This is actually how it started. I was so scared about getting in front on stage. And I had all these like tactics. Okay, I'm gonna have a blueprint. How do I think about it? How do I turn up? What's my Wonder Woman cuffs? Like all these things of how am I gonna get on stage in the first place? And part of that ritual leading up to it was I did a little, you got this, and I did the little muscle emoji and I closed my eyes and I spun it. Now, sometimes it happened in like when I was peeing, you know, like it is like not a great time, but it really, really worked. Like it hit me so hard. And in moments when I was practicing for my speech, I didn't realize that it, it went off. So now here I am practicing, I'm reading over, I'm getting in my own head, I'm getting tense. I'm like, oh my God, can I do really do this? The alarm happened to go off at that time. So now I'm like, oh yeah, I do gut this, Lisa. Yeah. So now I go back and it becomes this little reminder, your own cheerleader. Wow, I love that idea. That's such a cool, that, that's absolutely brilliant. And, and also that statement, be deliberate, not perfect. Yeah. I think it's such a great mantra. And, and I'm going to be honest here as well. Like, so I really dislike the cover of my book, my first book that I did. I really dislike it. Uh, and I was forced into having to pick and decide because of time. And so I, when I was writing my first book, I was so absorbed in writing it. I didn't really have time to think about the cover. Mm. We got to finish writing it and then I was told I need a cover and testimonials within the next two weeks. And I didn't know anyone who designed book covers at the time. And so I was scrambling to do that and I was trying to get the testimonials from people and asking for testimonials, as you know, is, is a tough thing to do. Yeah. And so you're like, okay, well, now I've got two weeks to ask someone for something, so I'm doing this. And then all of a sudden, then they're like, oh no, no, now we gotta just go with this cover and we're gonna design it. And I really don't like it. now you know, it didn't impact the book in the sense of it's been wonderful to see the book out there. And I hope people can sense my intention. I think that's what I always focus on is my intention is I just want to serve through this book. And people can feel that. But I give myself the grace and space that that was my first book. I didn't know the process. I didn't understand. This time I've handed in my first manuscript and I'm working on the cover yeah, already. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's okay. And that's like, you know, and the reason why I'm sharing that is people may look at my first book and of course it's sold really well, it's done really well, whatever. And it's like, and people may just be like, oh, well, Jay, you just nailed it. And I'm like, but even I don't feel I nailed it. Like I didn't because there was a part of it that I would have wanted to improve. Yeah. You've got an epic front cover. Oh, thank you. And this, you know, this, <laughs> look at this radical confidence front cover. It's so beautiful. It's amazing. And, and I think that what we have to realize is that as creators, we'll always be critical of our own work. Yeah even when no one notices it. And so I wanted everyone to hear that, that you're doing that, I'm doing that, we're all doing that. So if your first episode of your podcast isn't great, you've got a second one. Mm -hmm. If the first video on your YouTube channel is not great, there's another one. Like there's always another take. Yeah. And I love the critical part of it because what you're doing is, yeah, you're being critical about yourself, but you're not letting it stop you move forward. And that's yes. the key. It's like, I don't always just go, yeah, Lisa, you got this. Like, no, no, <laughs> I definitely assess. Like I am critical of myself. Yeah. I do like to reassess, but I'm at the stage, at least in my growth, that I don't let that stop me. And in the past, it would. In the past, I would 
would look at the, something that I've done and I would be so critical of it that I would beat myself up so much that it stopped me from moving forward. Yes, yes. I think that's a really good clarification as well. And and I think deliberate, not perfect is such a brilliant mantra. Mm-hmm. So I love that. All right, going on. I love this one. Validation is for parking. Yeah. I, I, I was like, I love parking validation. Uh, but yes, validation is for parking. The one that I love about this one is I can validate myself. Yeah. I think that's been such a big lesson for me. What is something you think you constantly wanted other people to validate you for? What is something that you've always seeked external validation for that took the longest journey? Oh, that took the longest journey. That's yeah. interesting. I think that there's still a part of me that kind of, I think that maybe, and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like there's a part of everyone that still wants to be validated. And it's just instinctual. Oh, sure. So going back to, I don't judge myself for it, but I know it's unhealthy. So in fact, here's a perfect example. It's not really answering your question, but it kind of is with the book. I was originally, when someone offered me the book deal, the very first words out of my mouth were, who would buy a book from me? So there's the insecurity. So I'm like, Lisa, ah, that 14 year old girl is still inside you. It's okay. You know, like she still does exist. That's okay, but I'm not gonna let her hold me back. So I start writing the book. Now in writing the book, I start to go, oh, I really want a New York Times number one, right? Like we've all got so many, like your book is amazing and everyone. And so it's like, oh, I've got a goal. I'm still got a good, I think, you know, I'm a business entrepreneur. So I set my goal. I set where I'm trying to go. And I move deliberately towards that. Now, here's the thing. What if I don't reach it? Does me not getting there now mean that the book's no good? And I realize the danger of looking for external validation for the work that you do and the way that you show up. And now the only thing that I can do is do the foundation work so that when that happens, the instinctual part of Lisa doesn't come out. And so what I said is, what's my North Star? Why did I actually write this book? Yes, I have the goals, but I don't want the goal without it actually creating impact. So let's say I want New York Times, right? But does it actually create impact? That's my North Star. That's the the big, big like thing that I'm going towards. So how are people going to respond to it? Okay, yes, of course, I want it to create impact. But what if it actually doesn't impact anyone, Jay? What if everyone hates it? That's a big possibility. When I was writing, I didn't know. And so what am I going to do to make sure that I still feel validated and that I still feel my worth? And so I said, what am I going to do now? Number one, do you give it your all? Because, and here's the thing when I say that, you know. Everyone at home, you know if you've given it your all. You can tell other people you have, but you really know. So am I going to give it my all? Yes or no? Yes. Great. That's going to be a metric I'm going to go by. If I gave it my all, I've got nothing else to give. Am I going to learn from this experience if it does badly? Yes. Did I have beautiful intentions? Yes. Am I going to really, if it fails, not beat yourself up, but are you absolutely going to take a hard look and identify all the things that you think that you failed in? Yes. Great. Now I can move forward. I can move forward. And if it doesn't do well, I've got those bullet points that I'm going to go back to and say, I had every intention to help women that felt like I did. I had that North Star. I knew what I was trying to do. I gave it my all. And so if now no one likes it, I'm not going to feel badly about myself because I showed up. And that's the thing, Jay, no one can affect whether you show up or not. Forget about the failure and successes. No one can affect whether whoever's listening at home, if you showed up or not. The only person that can affect that is you. I love that. And that's actually what needs to happen before we start any journey. And I think a lot of society has made us focus on the goal. So it's like, what's your goal? Where do you want to be? 
What's the output? What's the result? And what you've just described is the input. Mm -hmm. It's what you're bringing. It's what you're focused on. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes of goal setting is that goals are just made up targets. Mm -hmm. They're just made up targets. They're just random things. And it's like, they're nice, they're cool, but they don't make you happy because by the way, even the people that reach their goals are not happy. 100%. Because it's never satisfying. It's like, okay, we got to this goal, but now we didn't stay there. Or we got to that goal, but we didn't get there next time. Or this time we hit that goal constantly, but I'm still dissatisfied because I became lonely in the process, right? So there's always something else around that goal. So it's not only the people that don't make their goals that are not happy. It's also the people that make their goals that are not happy because it's not about the goal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the result is never guaranteed either. Exactly. So it's like, what are you going to do? Work hard for something, pour your heart into it and only feel good about yourself, whether it succeeds or not. It's just not sustainable. Yeah. And so to me, that's what I look at. What is sustainable for me to keep showing up for the rest of my life? Yeah. And that's like when I think about, oh, if I'm looking at the results, it's not sustainable. In a year, in two years, when I crash and burn, because look, when you try anything new, the chances are you're going to fail at it at some yeah. point. Yeah. And so if I'm failing, how do I keep getting back up? It's that precise thing. Yeah. I love that principle. I, I think that's just so huge because I just think we as a society constantly force people to set these big dreams, goals and targets that are arbitrary to mm -hmm. our actual joy and happiness. Like they don't actually connect to feeling good. Yeah. Even if you make it, right? And so I think that's the biggest one. All right, I want to go through a few more of these uh, because there's so many good oh. ones. I'm skipping a few chapters because I want you to get the book and read it. But there's a few things that I want to talk about. Okay, this one's a big one. Uh, this is chapter seven, which is called Toughen the F Up Buttercup. Um, and it says, I can stop saying I'm sorry. Yeah. This is huge. Like the amount of people that constantly feel that they have to stop saying sorry. What are some of the things that you hear a lot in this space of things that people apologize a lot for? So I also wanted to put a little yeah. asterisk to that because in the book, I actually, I think it's like the first line is, guys, stop apologizing. And yet guys always apologize. <laughs> because that's the thing. A lot of what I say, like feels like almost sometimes contradictory. But look, I think that the message of just stop apologizing isn't actually accurate. Yeah, of right? course. Because if it's like, if you upset your friend and you're the one that is the person in the fall, you should apologize. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> if like, if, if I've said something that really, I, that has upset Tom and it's like, okay, I didn't mean to upset him. Of course you should apologize. So I never want people to think that apology is a bad thing. The problem is we apologize so much that what it's doing is it's telling you that your, your opinion isn't valid. Valid. Mm -hmm. So like I think the example I give in the book is like, let's say for instance, I choose, you know me and very much like you, self-care is very important. I must take care of myself first before I show up for anyone else. And with how much we work, I burn out. And so I need to make sure that I don't go to that burnout. So sometimes I get invited to a lot of amazing places and I know in that moment, it's I have to actually choose self-care. Now, if I'm apologizing for putting myself first, subconsciously over time what is that doing it may not seem like it in the moment i just think when you keep having that repetition in your head that voice that mindset that you're always apologizing for putting yourself first it becomes detrimental to you and so for me i was like i'm no longer going to apologize for putting my self-care first i'm always going to be very respectful it's never like well you know f you but it absolutely is 
How you use language makes a difference. The language you use, and that's really the big key thing in all of this. If you say the word sorry, does, is that actually authentic to you? Or are you dismissing something that's actually very important to you? like self-care. So if someone invites me out, I won't actually, if it, and I'm doing self-care instead, I actually won't say I'm sorry. I'll say, oh my God, I really hope you have an amazing time. You know, let me know how it is. But right now, you know, I'm unable to attend. Obviously very politely, but I yes, just don't use yes. the word sorry. Yeah, no, I, I think that's huge because what you said is over time, what we're basically saying is we don't think we deserve that. Yes. Or that what we're doing is wrong. Yes. Right, yes. that's what you're saying. If you're yes. saying sorry, like you define the word, you're like saying, I'm wrong. That's why I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm wrong in not wanting to come out with you. But you're not wrong. Yeah. You just want to do something that's right for you. Yeah. Right? And it just then reinforces, right? Because like, uh, yeah. so like repetition creates habit. And I'm so aware of that, of how the words I use um, affect how I show up. Yeah. So like, if, can I share a story? Yeah, I'd love to. Okay. You're, the, you're an amazing Aww. storyteller. So I always love hearing Thank you say, yeah, go for it. There was this one time I'm on vacation and I'm standing in line and, and I don't met you. I get very chatty in line on vacation. <laughs> so, <laughs> I would love to be in line with you on vacation. Yeah. So there's this woman behind me and we start chatting. She's like, oh, what do you do? So I start telling all the things, you know, that, you know, quest and impact theory and women of impact. And eventually I was like, okay, I'm talking a lot. I was like, oh, what do you do? And she goes, oh, I'm just a mum. Just a mum? Just? I was, and I was like, well, what do you mean? She goes, oh, we'll have three kids that I homeschool, but I'm just a mum. She was so downplaying her achievements by using the word just. Now, it may not seem like a big deal, but imagine she says that to herself over and over again. She's really invalidating how much she's bringing to the table. And so in that moment, I almost couldn't help myself, Jay. I was like, I'm so sorry, but you just said just. I was like, what you're doing is incredible. I was like, you're bringing up the next generation and you're doing it with three children and homeschooling. I was like, so I was like, that isn't a just. As soon as I said that, her demeanor changed. She starts glowing, talking about all the classes, all these new tests that she was trying on her kids to see what would work and what didn't. In just, in removing the word just, changed how she saw herself. And that was just one word in one moment. Yeah. Now think about the words we use in our own head over and over and over again. Yeah, I, and, and I think that's the point that, in that moment, you'd only heard her say it once. Yes. But she's heard herself say it every day. Where whenever she meets someone who is externally doing more, right? Quote more, unquote, quote yeah, unquote, yeah, more. Yeah. Externally, quote unquote, more, quote unquote, because it's her perception. She is then looking at herself as less than mm -hmm. every single time. Because society has made some things feel like more and some things feel like less. But in that moment, you've reminded her that actually what she's doing is unique. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And I think that's what I love about what you're saying about language, because I do think it's so easy because we've created this hierarchy of first and second. You think about it. Someone might have just broken the world record and come second but someone broke the overall world record and came first, yeah. right? You both may have beaten the most latest world record, but except you're not looking at that, you're looking at going, I came second, but you also just did something amazing. And even in that example, whereas, yeah, I think it's, I think language is really interesting. And I think the way we talk to ourselves is really interesting. And I do believe that it's always going to be a balance of, you don't want to lie to yourself either way. Right. And I think that's the problem.
right? Both of them are lies. Saying to yourself, I'm the best in the world and I'm better than everyone, that's a lie. And saying, I'm the worst, I'm just a mum, that's also a lie. Neither of those are actually true. Yeah, that's so true. And we are so conditioned ourselves into thinking a certain way yeah. that it becomes like the belief system that maybe we don't even question because we don't even realize it's there. Mm. And so that's what I just love about everything we're talking about. I mean, you know, is it Carol Dweck? I think it was her that said, just add the word yet mm. onto a sentence. I can't do X, Y, and Z yet. It's one word, three letters. And yet it changes everything of how we perceive that thing. If you say, I can't play the piano, or I can't play the piano yet, night and day. Yeah, it changes everything. Everything, yeah. Language changes everything. I, I do recommend that everyone sits down and defines the words they use the most in their life because, and chances are you and your partner, you and your kids, you and your parents all have different definitions. Mm, yeah. And so you got to be really careful because you may have defined your words, but you got to make sure that their words are aligned or that they have their own definition that you're aware of. Yeah. Because otherwise, when they say, well, I don't think you've done something significant, you have to know what you mean by significant, mm -hmm. otherwise you're going to take that personally. So I rarely take people's words personally because I know their definition is not the same as mine. Oh my God, yeah, Tom and I, in our marriage, we have our own little like <laughs> Billy dictionary because for that exact reason, because if I say to him, hey babe, this is really important to me, I say the word important three times in a year. <laughs> so you better believe I want his all attention. I want him to drop everything. Now, what if we haven't had that discussion and he uses the important four times in the day, he goes, oh, okay, cool. And now I feel completely dismissed because I only use it three times. So there's a weight that I bring to that word, but he doesn't. Now, does that mean that he's wrong and I'm right? No, it just means to your point that we have different definitions of what that word specifically means. Yeah. So like the one of the worst words that I think it does detriment to so many people, especially women, is the word should. That like is the word that literally is like handcuffs so many of us. I should do this. I should be a good wife. I should be a good Greek wife. I should take care of my husband. I should put his, you know, that was what I was taught. I should have kids. Like it didn't even dawn on me that I could ask, oh, hang on, do I want kids? Because I just use the word in my head over and over again. So powerful. And you can make so many big decisions in life with bad language. Yeah. And it's, it's scary actually where it can go. And if you're someone who feels you have done that for a long time, you can change words. That's the best thing about it. You can change your definitions. You can change your words. All right, one more that I want to take uh, that I love because this one really, really stood out to me is I can be too sensitive. I think that's one that gives a lot of permission because you're a very practical person. Uh, I watch your Instagram stories and you're always someone who shares what you're feeling, but then you share what you do about it. Yeah. And so I'll see you go, oh, I woke up, didn't want to work out today, but here I am. Or like, you know, I woke up, my gut wasn't great today, but then this is what we did. And like, you're very open about mm -hmm. the feeling and being sensitive, but then moving. How did you get good at closing the gap? between allowing yourself to feel and being sensitive to actually taking action? I think because I didn't do, I didn't move forward. I literally for eight years, you know, my life was what I feel like was in the purgatory. I can't the believe mundane. you like that. I can't even imagine yeah, you we, like that because I've never, we never knew each other then. Yeah, well, same, I feel the same about you when I hear about your, your crazy wild boy stories <laughs> when you're young. I'm like, you, like, it just seems strange, but that just actually is great, right? To show that we, we really can evolve. We really can change by making these different choices in our lives. And so for eight years, I was making the same choices to stay stuck. And so I didn't have that 
How do I incrementally move towards my goal? How, what am I doing today? And so now I've just, because of that, I just say the way that I feel right now, does it serve the thing that I'm trying to do? And so sometimes like being sensitive can be beautiful, right? It means that we're in touch with our emotions and that we can actually feel things. And especially when you're creative, you want that. You need to like go with your heart and your emotions. But sometimes being too sensitive can hold you back. Yeah. And I don't beat myself up over it, but I don't think being too sensitive all the time serves you. Mm -hmm. And part of the messaging out there is like, no, you should be always sensitive. And I just go, look, sometimes it actually doesn't serve what you're trying to do. That doesn't mean that you should ignore it. That doesn't mean that you should beat yourself up over feeling it. But if I say, okay, the way I'm feeling right now doesn't actually help me move forward towards impacting that 14-year-old girl. Okay, so what am I going to do? I'm going to feel the feels, right? I give myself the grace and the cuddle to go, okay, Lisa, yes, you're here. That's okay. It's like, you, you know, that friend. It's all right. But does this actually help you help that 14-year-old mm-hmm. girl that feels insecure? Does that help that other woman that you're trying to help? If the answer is no, what am I going to do about it? Because sitting there stuck won't get me there. Again, yeah. I've been there eight years, not moving forward. I know what that feels like. I know where that gets me. It's important for me to acknowledge the truth that we can be sensitive and to just say it's okay all the time won't actually help. And so that's where it's like the duality of everything I always talk about becomes like these dualities. It's like embracing it and then not accepting it. It's like I am embrace who I am today. And yeah, I don't accept who I am today. I know where I'm trying. I want to get better every day. I want to improve. So how do you do both without, um, you know, lacking the enthusiasm to keep moving forward? And it always is giving myself the grace that yes, I feel like that. I'm not going to dismiss that part of me. That is what makes me me. And yet I'm not going to let it um, hold me back from the life I want. I love that. I think you've perfectly summed up how a healthy mindset can be where it's not either or it's and mm-hmm. right it's both and i think everyone's always like well should you be really vulnerable or should you be really like action oriented and it's like be both yeah like be vulnerable and then take action yeah. like should i be really sensitive and compassionate right. or should i be really brave and courageous it's like be both it's like sh- should i be affectionate or assertive it's like be affectionately assertive that- <laughs> like be both like you don't and and i think we've just been brought to believe that everything's either or Mm -hmm. and what you've just said is no i can be both i can embrace myself and i don't have to accept where i'm at can i add one little extra thing so also is your sensitivity actually warranted now what i mean by that is i still accept it so i never dismiss it but i don't know if it's always warranted have you ever been hangry Oh, loads. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So literally, just by not eating, you get mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So think about sensitivity. It's the same thing. Maybe you're really tired that day. Maybe you haven't eaten. For me, the biggest realization with this whole topic was middle of my gut issues. I was in absolute mm. pain. I wasn't eating much. Like I could barely eat. So I was extremely malnutritioned. Like I was 20 pounds lighter. And so now I'm in this business meeting. We're at Quest. I'm sitting in front of Tom and there's like maybe 10 other people. And me and him start debating something. Now this is like, I've debated with him so many times up to this point. But because my gut was hurting me so much, because I couldn't eat, and because I was tired, he had said something, and inside I wanted to burst into tears. And so I was like, you're not going to cry, Lisa, you're not going to cry. Meeting goes over, and I go into his uh, his restroom, and I just start tearing up. 
and he walks in thinking that I was like, had a bad stomach. And he sees me in tears. First time I'm crying at work, at Quest. So he's really shocked. He's like, babe, what's wrong? And I was like, you were so mean to me. And he's like, what is happening right now? I've never said that, especially at work. And he's like, babe, I love you. Could this possibly be because of your health? And of course I was sensitive. So I was like, don't you dismiss my feelings, you know? And he's like, I'm not trying to dismiss your feelings, but let's just take things right now for how they are. You've never cried at work. You've never made it personal, never. But even by saying you're mean to me is a personal thing. How many times have we debated at work? You've never had this emotional reaction. And the facts are, babe, you're in pain. So can we maybe just say that right now you are being sensitive that you may not otherwise feel if your health was better? Yeah. And so in that moment, I was like, actually, you know what? Sometimes your sensitivity comes from something else. Totally. But you take it personally. Oh, you. I mean, you're spot on. I mean, I genuinely don't trust myself if I'm hungry or I'm tired. Right. Like, I just don't make good decisions. I don't make decisions. I don't make choices. I will put something off. If I'm hungry or I'm tired, I will say I'll think about it tomorrow. I just don't want to make that decision because I know I'll make poor decisions, let alone with our feelings yeah. and how we treat people. Yeah. And I can remember that actually when I was going through health things as well, I was a lot snappier. I was a lot more irritable. Would you say Rad- you were a little too sensitive? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> with Radhi, I was way more agitated when I was struggling because you're really what's happening is all your body's energy is trying to solve that issue. And so you have no energy, you don't have any capacity left for the part that you would usually have, a little bit of resilience to deal with something that's not comfortable. Exactly. And now everything that would have just been uncomfortable becomes personal. Yes. And that's what's happening, right? Yes. Because you've lost that capacity for discomfort. Yes. And I've realized that many times when I'm tired or I'm hungry or I'm going through something health-wise, I lose my ability for discomfort when usually I'd be more than happy to be in discomfort or handle some austerity. And the fact that you know that about yourself, yeah. though, allows you now to maneuver. Yeah. Right? It's not that you dismiss that you're a bad person or that means something about you. You just know, oh, okay, I'm not in my full capacity because I'm not, I don't have the things that I need in order to be able to handle this and not take it personally. Yeah. So that's where in the books, like, it's so important for me to say, like, look, instead, like, we don't, no, I'm sensitive and you can't take that away from me. It's like, Yes, but does it serve you? And is it actually true? Or is it a reflection of other things in your life? I love that. I love that, Lisa. That's such a powerful. And I want everyone who knows listening and watching that this book is full of what I think Lisa does really well is take on these really complex ideas, simplify them, but then still deal with the complexity, right? As you can hear, we're going back and forth on this stuff because it's not either or. It's not one or the other. It's not like, here's the one answer that's going to solve everything. It's actually like really textured and layered and messy. And you've got to think about it at that level if you really want to solve it. Because just going out there and saying, just be sensitive, just share your feelings. Like that's only one half of the issue. Yeah. And and then there's all these other layers in between. And so I think what Lisa does in Radical Confidence is each of these 10 lessons, they're going to simply tell you what to do next, but they're also going to help you think about how these ideas, and as she said at the beginning, the muscle builds over time. Uh, Lisa, thank you for writing this book. Um, I, again, recommend everyone goes and grabs a copy. Um, You won't be disappointed. 
I genuinely have always loved Lisa's storytelling ability. You saw it today. She's able to take you back into a moment in time. I help you to reconnect with that 14-year-old girl that she was, to reconnect with the housewife she was for eight years. You know, all of those elements in her life, which I think are identities that we can all relate to at different times in our own life. Uh, Lisa, any last words, anything that's on your mind, anything that's on your heart that you really want to share? I want to give you the oh, space to say it. No, just thank you so much for having me. And, you know, you've really been witness as well to kind of me going from behind the scenes, you know, in front and Braddy's been doing the same. Like, it's so beautiful to see like how much you support so many women in your life, you know, in your life. So um, thank you for being a part of my own journey and being such a good friend. And, you know, my brother from another mother, you feel like home, dude. And I just cannot thank you enough for having me. I'm so proud of you for putting this together because I just think there's so many people out there who are struggling with these exact questions, these exact challenges. Uh, some of the ones that I didn't take for anyone who's listening because I think, um, you know, you'll resonate with these ones. Just people can relate to this. How can you develop the mindset to, I can set boundaries. I can choose how I react. I can rescue myself. I can be motivated. I can boost my confidence. I mean, these are all things that we all wish we could do. Uh, and I love how the book not only talks about the ideas in the way you'd expect, but I think you take this really counterintuitive approach to giving more depth on each one. Thank so. you, because I think that was actually the thing that held me back, is I would read all these one things about, and I was like, but that isn't really true to me, how yeah. you show up. And I think humans are very, you said it earlier, humans are complex. Women, we're very complex. And so it's not binary, it's not one or the other. It's how do you deal with the beauty that makes up you? Yeah, absolutely. Everyone, make sure you subscribe to Women of Impact. Make sure you follow Lisa on Instagram. Make sure you go and grab a copy of the book. You won't be disappointed, I promise. Uh, and please do tag me and Lisa on any social media platform that you use, letting us know what stood out to you, what connected with you. Maybe you're going to take a picture of a page in the book that really resonated with you, that spoke to you, highlight it, share it with us online. I genuinely love to see the feedback. And as you know, I do deeply, deeply, deeply support my friends who are authors on this podcast because writing a book is just not easy. When someone's promoting it and there's lots of cool posters and tv shows and billboards and all this kind of stuff it can look very exciting and it is exciting but the journey of writing a book getting it right printing it getting it sorted and then taking it out there it's a marathon so if you ever see me share about books very enthusiastically it comes from just knowing that the author's really been through it to get to that stage so that's where my over enthusiasm kicks in but Thank you so much for listening and watching, everyone. A big thanks to Lisa for joining us today. Sending you lots of love. Make sure you pass this on to someone who needs it. And I'll see you next time on On Purpose. Thanks, everyone. Bye. <laughs>